Coming up on today's show. Wednesdays are for the players, so we call Marvin Jones to talk about his four-touchdown performance. And more importantly, my bachelor party. We pick six listener questions and rank the 2018 quarterback class. Don't worry, Baker. You're still number one in my book. Bi-week traditions, first impressions, and crocane candy bars. Can we say crocane on here? No risk it, no biscuit, Joe. All of this and much, much more coming up on another Emmy Award-winning Tomahawk Show. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Joseph. This is Joe, and I'm from Stowe. And I forgot what I was going to say, but it was pretty good. That really sucks because I can't delete this. What's up, Tomahawk Gang? Austin from Massachusetts again. The inventor of the now nationally famous, leave him at the laundromat catchphrase. Um, and I don't want to suggest one this week. I just want to put my support behind this isn't your mother's meatloaf because that's the funniest thing I've heard all week. Catchphrase is taking off, bro. And I, I don't feel great about this one this week. I, I appreciate it, but I'm having a hard time trying to figure out where I'm going to input it into our broadcast. Uh, this is a Tomahawk show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Presented by Uninterrupted, I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins. Um, again, a, a Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Sports Award recipient. And Joe Thomas is my co-host. Amazing man. Terrible football player. Uh, but he's a great podcast host. Joe, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good, and I'm wondering why all of our listeners that call into the voicemail line sound inebriated. Do we have any sober listeners to the Tomahawk show? Is there anybody sober in the Tomahawk? Is it because the Browns are 2-4 and four and your favorite team out there is probably struggling because we know we don't have any Patriots fans listening, and they seem to be the only team in the NFL that's really killing it? All right, there's three teams right now in the NFL. The Saints, okay. the 49ers, and the Patriots. And the Patriots. They love their team right now. They can't you, find any flaws. Do you Everybody think else sounds is drunk down because on of team. our drinking game. I think you're right. You think that's it? Think you think they probably call after they listen to an episode and we break all the drinking <laughs> game rules? I think you're right. Joe, you know what I want to talk about today? That is not on the rundown, but it's been on my mind because uh, me and producer John were talking about it yesterday. My bachelor mm-hmm. party. We won't go into details, but I have yet to hear of somebody's bachelor party who was a better setup than mine. Did you have a bachelor party, Joe? I did. I was in college or just kind of the end of college. And so it was not like epic at all. Yeah, we no, did a, it's, it's classic. You'll, you'll laugh. Classic fat boy, Wisconsin. Did you guys lineman. go to Nashville? No, we didn't have that money. Okay. We went camping at a local park that had a, like a drunk river, lazy river where you get tubes. It's called <laughs> the Apple River. It's like uh-huh. in Northwest Wisconsin. You get tubes, it's a bunch of drunk people. You float coolers with the tubes and you do like a four or five hour float. At the end of the float, there's a campsite. You stay in the campsite, heavy drinking, uh, girls showing their boobies for beads. You know, it's classic <laughs> Wisconsin <What>? Mardi Gras scene. <laughs> that is like the opposite of what my bachelor party was. But I knew it was totally the opposite. It, I mean, there's, it's funny because here's how bachelor parties work. There's Las Vegas, which is the normal one, right? That everyone, people, what are you doing? I'm going to Las Vegas. And then there's, you know, black people will do Atlanta. And then there's white Atlanta, which is Nashville. That's right. So there's, there's, Facts. there's Atlanta, Nashville, Vegas, and then Miami's also sprinkled in there around all the all the different uh, ethnicities, ethnicities and cultures. Um, yeah. All right. So my That's bachelor more party of a melting pot. Exactly. So here's my setup for my bachelor party. Um, me and my, my friends, a lot of NFL players were involved in that. So it was like you know, 
I won't give names. We'll let them tell it. Because I, I don't know if they said they were there or not. I don't get anybody in trouble. But <laughs> it was. I mean, it was going on a work trip. It wasn't even about like what we were doing in the bachelor part. It's more of the setup and how awesome it was. So here's what here was the idea. I rented a tour bus. Got a driver for a tour bus. We flew to Scottsdale first, <laughs> and we went out in Scottsdale. We actually hosted a party there, so we didn't have to pay for the night out in Scottsdale. We rented a house. We woke up at the butt crack of dawn, like six a.m. And we took the tour bus to Vegas. So we're on the tour bus. We're sleeping on the bus. We wake up. We, you know, we're playing games. We're just having having a drink. We get to Vegas. We go right to a pool party. I think it was Wet Republic. We go to a pool party. We leave there. We go out that same night in Vegas. We hosted a party, so we didn't have to pay for any rooms or anything at the. So this is like almost half of the whole trip is comped. We wake up. We take the tour bus to L.A. We then go to L.A. to another pool party, go out that night in L.A. At, at the club, it was like we were right beside, like, Rihanna was on one side. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan was on the other side. <laughs> a Chris Brown song came on with uh, an artist named Kid Ink. Kid Ink comes out of the crowd and starts, like, singing the song from our booth with a, with a microphone. We ended up at the studio with Meek Mill, Rihanna, and Rick Ross at the end of the night before the next day I flew to Cleveland to report for off-season workouts. Is that is there a bachelor party you've heard better than that? No. My question two is twofold. Right. One, how did you feel when you got to L.A.? Because you could not have felt fresh. I actually felt pretty fresh. How is that possible? Like, did you just... The best, as soon as you got home from the club, you just slept constant until you got up to get ready to go to the next place yeah and then we were you just riding the high of like my bachelor party it was fun man because we're like clowning around and again just be actually the best sleep i got was on the tour bus because it's a full bed and you know i'm not the tallest guy i could fit that easy i was so, thinking did they put you in like one of the little overhead compartments <laughs> <laughs> like, well that's basically what the beds that are tall got the good stuff all right, so if, you have, if you've heard of a better bachelor party, please call in and let us know. You can use our Tama hotline, which is 440-628-1376, or hit us up on social media at Tomahawk Show. Um, listen, make sure you check us out on YouTube. We're on Uninterrupted's YouTube page, and we do a video show once a week. We got to catch everybody up on the catchphrase show. We mentioned it earlier. No risk it, no biscuit, one out. I was more of a, more of a fan of Pop It On Play That. I just felt like that was the one, and I, I we could have made some waves with that. I one. like Papa. Don't play that either. It's a that good one. But shout good. out to Kip Rusin for the no no risk it, no biscuit. Uh, we let the people decide, and here we are, Joe. How 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 are you feeling about the perspective uh, phrase that you have to use on Thursday night football? I'm already thinking about how I'm going to work it in, and it's going to be tricky because it's kind of a unique situation where you got to be discussing a risk taker, somebody taking some chances. And on my show, we don't really talk too much about that but I think being that it's the Redskins and the Vikings there's an opportunity for me to slip it in there with the Redskins like yeah. hey, there's no downside so if you don't risk it there's no biscuit you know something <laughs> along those lines this is a little sneak peek but uh, what I really want to see is the star of the show Colleen the lone wolf wolf is she going to be able to slide it in and make it three for three? She's that is what I can't wait for. She's been a beast with the tomahawk catchphrase. She man. is she's, amazing. She's she's upstaging us every week. Uh, all right, so what else we got today? We, well, right now we're waiting on calls. Right, I, typically we don't tease this because we don't know if they're ever going to call. But we're waiting on calls from two people: Marvin Jones and Mohamed Sanu. Mohamed Sanu, they just announced today he got traded 
by the Atlanta Falcons to the Patriots for a second round pick. And Marvin Jones went off this week for four touchdowns. Those are my buddies. Um, they're always my buddies when they're my buddies until I need them to do actual NFL media stuff. <laughs> so they're both committed to calling in. I don't think we're going to get both of them. There's a chance we don't get either of them. I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping for a one of two. So we'll figure it out. By the time you get to the end of this show, Tom Flock, you will know what the answer to that is. So here's the thing about Muhammad Sanu getting traded to the Patriots. Real quick. So we're in a group chat. In this group chat, it's me, Mo Sanu, Marvin Jones, A.J. Green, and Andy Dalton. We've been in this group chat since like 2013, right? And this is literally, I mean, when we have kids. Hey, I'm having a kid. What? You're going to be a dad? Now, here we are. We're like hella kids into it. Nobody even reacts to that anymore. But all of our information. <laughs> You're having a kid? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, oh, like, oh, that terrible sucks, for you. man. You, Your second life you is actually delayed now. So, <laughs> like, they were the first people that knew I was retiring. They, they like they, they in this group chat. There's so much information that I can never use. So here I am doing media now, and where these scoops would be very beneficial to my actual career, I can never use it. So yesterday, essentially, I pulled out of Muhammad Sanu that he's getting traded to the Patriots, but I can't say anything about it, right? And I'm like Mo, just so you know, I'm gonna fail as a media personality, and it's gonna be your fault. All of them. They give me information that I can never use. Uh, so I was actually a little ticked off. So I wanted to get him on the show to uh, ask why he doesn't want my kids to eat, especially when they're such big fans of his. Uh, but we'll see if he calls in. He was like, yeah, I'm definitely calling in. I promise you I'm calling in. So if he doesn't call in, I'm leaving the group chat. That's basically what I'm getting at, Joe. Everybody's your best friend until you ask them for some of their time. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> they don't know who you are. Who this? Sorry, exactly. new phone. New phone, who this? All I'm saying is me and Tom Brady were very close. Peyton Manning, if I ever wanted him on the show, they would say, what time works for you? That's all <laughs> I'm saying. But we we got these backup receivers who think they're divas now that they score four touchdowns and they get <laughs> traded to a team that's probably going to win the Super Bowl, and they won't even call my man Andrew Hawkins back. Messed that's up, hurtful. Man. It's cold. Well, let's talk football anyways. If, if we don't get to talk to real celebrities, let's at least talk to a couple phonies that know nothing about football. I love it. All right, let's kick things off with our favorite midweek segment, Pick 6. One, two, three, four, five, six. This is Pick 6. Is that Joe's voice? Wow. Both of them. It's like it's like Photoshop in your voice box. It's amazing. <laughs> All right. So here we are with the Pick 6. The Pick 6 segment is fans basically pick six topics that we're going to talk about here on the show. Everything in the football world. John Fontenelle is going to read them off, and me and Joe will do our podcasting thing. I don't know. Go ahead. What we got, John? Josh Richards on Twitter asks, do you guys recall meeting each other? And what were your first impressions of each other? That's a good question. I'm going to let Joe kick this off. I do remember meeting Andrew. And the first thing I can think of is, wow, this guy's pretty short. He probably stinks at receiver. <laughs> and then the next thing I thought is, wow, he's pretty antisocial for being the new guy. You know, because if you're the new guy in a group, you need to kind of go outside of your uh, normal comfort zone and introduce yourself and just be a little bit over the top nice. Well, I'm sure Hawk came in thinking like, I'm probably not gonna be here that long. I'm gonna get my <laughs> bag of money and I'm gonna get out of here. And I, I got enough friends. I'm already in all these fancy chat groups with these guys from Cincinnati. So I don't need any <laughs> new friends. And for like the first six months, I thought Hawk, Hawk was a real jerk. And it wasn't until 
an old friendship popped up that connected the dots. And that was you and John Greco from your time in Toledo. John was one of my best friends on the Browns. And you used to matriculate over to the old line corner of the locker room, yep. which was, you know, kind of in the, uh, the southwest corner. And we'd hang out and just complain about everything. That's what <laughs> big fat offensive linemen do. And you'd come over and you'd start hanging out with Greco. And I saw that you guys, you guys had some laughs and I wanted to be part of it. <laughs> And uh, so I don't remember if there was one ice-breaking moment, but we started kind of eavesdropping on your conversations and slid in there and just started talking. And then slid in my live DMs. Yeah, I slid into Hawks DMs. At that point, I think he realized like, hey, these guys aren't that bad. I guess I could probably be friends with him. I got room for one more friend in my (laughs) phone. And then we just started talking and we hit it off. It's funny because, yeah, me and Greco go way back, like 2004 back. And he was the only person that I actually knew. Me and Greco became teammates in at the Rams in 2011 when I first got to the league. He got traded on the second day of camp, and I got cut. Uh, so this was the, the us reuniting in Cleveland for the first time, but really like the third time. But yeah, I was more like when I got to the Browns, I was just so like, oh man, what have I what have I done? I don't know what this <laughs> what's going to come of this. Just because the players there and when it, the players, honestly, from when I signed in March to by the time we got to the season, were completely different. And not that it was a bad thing. It was not just that, that players were the same, but they acted different. They were just different players. No, they got were rid of most of the locker room. No, I'm saying that a lot of guys got cut, traded, and the roster dramatically changed from when yeah, I signed. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Not that they acted yeah, differently. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. They were just different guys. Exactly. And, you know, when you come in. Like, you know, think about it. You're a receiver. You're coming into a room with the receivers all from last year, and you just got paid. And they're going to be like, who the F is this dude? And the team is going to be like, why do we get this guy? So, like, I'm saying that, you know, what did I get myself into? Just more or less of like, ah, I didn't take into account that there's certain people that might not want me here, right? Or might, like, you know, feel a certain way about me coming in here. So I just stayed to myself. But the reason why I asked you to answer that first is because – that wasn't actually when we met. We actually met when I tried out for the team in 2008. And I think <laughs> you were in like the cold tub or something. Something we crossed paths. I was with the tight end. Dang, who was the tight end from that year? Martin Rucker. Martin Rucker. Yeah, there you go. I Martin. was going to say his brother played in the NFL. Yep. So I was Frosty. I was, I was no, walking. Not Frosty. No. <laughs> Mike Rucker, I think. Yep, Mike Rucker. So I was walking with Martin Rucker, and I think he introduced himself to you, and then I was right beside him, and I introduced myself to you. Um, so I knew that you wouldn't remember that, which is why I wanted you to go first, to let everyone in the audience know how much of an asshole Joe is. Yeah. That he actually that – was... That's why I didn't talk to him when I got to Cleveland the second time, because he kept introducing himself to me. And I'm like, bro, this is the 19th time we've met. <laughs> you know what it's I'm like not the asshole you're... you are. Yeah. You know what it's like when you're in your first few years in the NFL and you're just swimming? Like every day you go in and you're like, holy crap, I don't know a thing. I don't know what I'm doing. And so the only thing you're focused on is what's my job? What's my assignment? What's my technique? And repeat. And I had no room in my brain to meet other young rookies that were going to be swimming. <laughs> that weren't going to be there in two days? Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this guy, uh, you ain't going to be there. You're going to be one of the <laughs> 75 people that try out every day in this combine that we have in the Brown's training bubble. Oh, and, man. Uh, we'll never see you again. So, not <laughs> wasting space on your name or your face. And here we are. What do you got next, John? Hanners on IG asks, What was your favorite bi week tradition? My favorite bi week tradition, I would actually go to Clearwater Beach because it was a quick hmm. flight and me and the family got really acquainted down in Tampa. So, we would go to 
to Clearwater Beach for like four days and just literally lay on the beach for a couple of days. Me and the me and the youngins, man. Mm. It's not like coaches. Coaches bye week sucks. They actually they do, get like a day off. Yeah, it's like the work is even more because here and here's what you can expect from teams after their bye week. You should see an improvement because what the bye week is used for for coaches, it's a self scout. So you know every week. Teams, when you're playing uh, your opponent, your opponent is looking at your tendencies and checking ways that they can beat you. Well, for you, you have to focus so much on what you do well that you can't, you know, look and, and dictate, oh, I wonder what other people are seeing in us. So the, the bye week is really an opportunity for them to watch their tape and put the hat on as if they were an opposing coach and say, man, what tendencies are we showing? Um, what are our deficiencies? What are the holes in our offenses and our defenses that other teams are going are seeing and taking advantage of? And off of the bye week, there should be corrections made to those things. So that's a big thing, a part of uh, the bye week for coaches. And since the Browns are coming off a of bye week this week, that's something that you can look forward to for Browns fans. And it's really important because the best team in the NFL at finding out what your tendencies are and using them against you is the Patriots. Yes. But I'll go back to the bye week stuff because fans ask me all the time about my interest in coaching. And they're like, hey, why don't you want to come back and coach the Browns O-line or help out? And uh, I love to teach. Like That is a true passion of mine, using the information that I learned in my 11 years in the NFL and giving that to a young player is one of the great passions I have. But yep. The reason that I don't want to coach is because the answer when you ask a coach what they're doing on their bye week and they hit you back with, well, I'm just really hoping that we can get maybe like a Thursday afternoon and like a Friday morning off so I can go home and see my family, which is like two days off. So like I don't have to be in the office on Friday until almost 9.30 or 10 a.m. It's going to be a great almost 24 (laughs) hours off. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. That sounds absolutely miserable because during my bye weeks as a player, early on in my career before the new CBA, we usually got like three days off. You'd get maybe half a day Thursday and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, be back on Monday. But when they came to the new uh, CBA, I think you got like five days off maybe. And so we would get like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sometimes even like Monday, Tuesday. So it was a really nice chunk. And what I like to do is kind of get away from civilization, get away from football. I would go back to Wisconsin. My in-laws had a house on a lake in Wisconsin. So I would just go up there and just get away from football. But then I always enjoyed watching the games on Sunday from my couch, just being super lazy and just laying on the couch, doing almost nothing and just feeling good about not beating myself up on that day. So that by the time I got back, I was sort of mentally and physically refreshed and ready to go for the next half of the season. I have a question for you, Joe, and it's Mm -hmm. not a bi-week related question, but kind of, do you spend more money now that you're retired than when you played? Yeah, I think because when you play in season, you spend almost no money. It is like the great forced savings plan because unless you're shopping on your phone, you just have no time for anything. Like you can't spend money on travel. You can't spend money on your house. You can't spend money on your friends. You have no time. You don't have time to do anything. And so basically the only money you spend is if you're going to go out to dinner maybe during the week, whether it be with your teammates or your your family or your friends, uh, one night a week. Or maybe like your bye week or maybe like house, right. just day-to-day insurance expenses or something. But for the most part, you don't spend any money during the season. And in the off season, you travel a little bit. Um, but I would say once you retire, 
you have a lot more time, especially if you're doing a job like we do where there's a lot of flexibility with your hours and your right. time. You end up spending a lot more money because you're spending more time with the family and you're traveling a little bit more and you're doing more stuff with the kids like on a daily, weekly basis that, you know, it's just the nickel and dime stuff, going to the zoo. Right. Uh, you know, I'm sure you go to the circus all the time like we do. Yeah, uh, you know, big circus guys. Little gym. We're, we're, we're a big little gym family. We, yeah. We've got gymnastics and dance. We've got all sorts of plays. And, you know, it's just all those little things, they add up. But you have time to spend that money. And so, so that's one know, thing that, that answer. I'm realizing on my end is that because I have, like, you know, and people always ask me, like, Hawk, how do you, why are you working so many jobs? And I've been recently thinking, like, weighing pros and cons of it. And <laughs> one of the biggest pros is that I have no time to spend, like, leisure money. <laughs> Because yeah. I'm my time is accounted for from sun up to sundown, and rookies would always be like, you know, oh hey man, I, oh, I just made this money. Yeah, I'm fine. I just got to stack this much. And I'm like, dude, don't spend anything because you have to wait till your first off season to really know what this thing is like. Because all that free time, the number one thing that players do is spend cash. Mm. Like oh, yeah. during the season is the best time to save because you know, again, your time is handcuffed. So I was just curious for a guy like you who still has a bunch of free time and a bunch of money, do you spend a lot? And the answer is yes. You're still splurging like a little Wayne rap video. That's cool. That's right. The um, Post Malone, that was actually me in the background in the club a couple ah, nights ago throwing okay. coolers full of money out at the ultra uber rich billionaire yeah. crowd that didn't even flinch when like $100 bills were floating down <laughs> on their heads. Did you see that video? I didn't see that video. But oh actually, my gosh. I seen a picture of that video where Post Malone gifted a iced out Rolex to 21 Savage, who was another hip hop artist. And I imagine that's the same party you're talking about. So if you remember Pac-Man Jones got in a bunch of trouble right at the beginning of his career because he was at a strip club and he started throwing money everywhere. And yep. of course, the people that were employees in the strip club and the other people in the strip club just went bananas, uh -huh. you know, like rats on cheese. They, they could not wait to scoop that money up. Yeah. But second rat gets the you cheese, and I. What's that? That was one of our submissions for the catchphrase. The second the second rat gets the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. But anyways, the Post Malone video, it reminded me of a Super Bowl party. And you've been to a lot of Super Bowl parties. There's yep. a lot of celebrities there. You know, there's a lot of athletes and entertainers. It's the center of the entertainment world for a week mm -hmm. and those parties are killer they're full of all sorts of rich people wearing blazers and fancy outfits and that party looked like a super bowl party and if post malone did that at a super bowl party the reaction would have been exactly the same everyone <laughs> like i'm way too rich to bend down and pick up these hundred dollar bills that are floating all over the place and falling on the ground right i'm not that rich to do it though i would 100 percent be Hawk would have been the guy to the bottom of my shoe and sticking his it to the height shoe. to his advantage exactly it's crawling through people's legs and scooping up the dollars the spending thing is interesting to me because i remember when i first learned that nfl players only get paid during the season mm -hmm. did you guys have those moments with rookies or it was like hey make sure you're saving and these or maybe it was guys who are like oh shit i don't realize we don't get paid during the off season and i have to be better with my money I think most guys understood they got paid just during the season, but uh, where they mess up is that after the season, they think to themselves, like, oh, I've done this six months and I barely spent anything. Mm -hmm. They don't realize the reason why they haven't spent it is because they haven't had time to, and that now you're about to get a bunch of free time mm -hmm. and you're going to spend way more. So that's what we have to caution them. Like, hey, just give it time because there's going to be a million things you want to buy and now you have more money than you've ever had in your life. And I think the problem is during the season, you don't have the time to like go and do stuff, but you have plenty of time to sit there and think. 
I mean, when you're in meetings, you're spacing off, you're sitting in the cold tub and you're spacing off. Like you have a lot of time during the season that you can't be on your phone, but you still are just sitting there and you're kind of not doing anything. And so you have time to think about your off season, right? Especially right. if you're a crappy right. team, like you're okay. I know the Browns that we weren't uh, always the best. You watch so we had some too. time towards the end of the season that we kind of knew we weren't in the playoffs. So we knew the off season was coming. And so you start thinking about like all the things that you've wanted to do that have been building up in your mind during right. the season that you can't wait to do. Like, Oh, I can't wait till the season's over so I can finally do X, Y, and Z. And then you overcommit yourself from a time and a money standpoint right. to doing all these things that you want to do with all these friends that can't wait to see you. And it's especially hard for young players like mm -hmm. rookies, because I remember uh, my friends all ended up spending an extra year at Wisconsin. Like all my buddies that I came in and with the recruiting class because I didn't redshirt and they did. Uh -huh. So my first year in the NFL, a lot of those guys are either in their fifth year plan or have already graduated and are done with their scholarships, but they're not going to the NFL and they don't have a job. So they're just hanging out. So right. these guys got nothing but time to hang around and like pester you about, Hey, let's go do this. Let's go do this. This would be fun. And you're the only friend that has money that can scholarship everybody. Right. So they're exactly. coming up with all sorts of ways for you you to spend your money in that first off season. And if you're not careful, you're going to spend a lot of it on your buddies and you're going to do a lot of fun stuff because they got <laughs> lots of time because they don't got jobs and you're the only one with the money. So it's funny because we were talking about earlier about my bachelor party. I actually had two bachelor parties that my friends that I grew up with call one, the CBP and one, the RBP regular bachelor party and celeb bachelor party. <laughs> Cause they weren't at the, the, the tour one. It was just all NFL guys because they were also helping foot the bill. So yes, when you, when people help pay that money, that's what happens. The other one, we just we went to Tampa for a couple of days. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure yeah. that was fun. You guys it was were hanging awesome. out in Ebor city. Yeah. It I was Tampa. Tampa was great, great man. Tampa's if you great. notice, so I go to Tampa for all Tampa. events. <laughs> Bye week, bachelor party, family <laughs> vacations, all of that. All right, what's next, John? Tim Limford on Facebook asks, when you guys watch film and get graded after every game, what was the lowest personal grade you ever received? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I don't remember that one. I've, I don't think I've ever graded out lower than a 90, if I even got that a low. 90? So give me the grade scale for receivers because I would say the grade scale for offensive linemen is probably pretty similar to what you're familiar with when you were in school. So like 90 and above is an A, 80 to 90, 80, 89 is a B, 70 to 79 is a C, and below that you're getting cut. Yeah, no, I, I mean we would – so you would get docked if like you messed up a play. I never busted plays. I, I've never busted a play in my entire career. I knew the offense that, that shows you how simple it is to play receiver. No, I, I, played, I what, eight years in the NFL and never had one bust. That's no, amazing. I never had. That's not common though. Like I was the guy that was, I know it's not telling common, everybody saying, else like, to line up. The so greatest the listener, offensive what is a, line. What does that mean to bust a play? So to bust a play is that, you know, everyone has a route to do on a certain player. Everyone has a certain assignment, you know, and you have to know your assignment for every play we call. We call 60 plays. We go into the game with maybe 200 plays that could be up. And so you never ran the wrong route. I never ran the wrong route. I never ran the wrong route. Hang on. So you're telling me you never saw post safety and it was a split safety and you ended up changing your route to whatever the wrong route was. You never saw man or zone and sat down and you should have continued. Like that never happened in your career. That is simply amazing. Yeah, no. I mean, I like wow. Anytime that that would happen, it would be one of those up for debate situations, right? Okay, like well, the coach would be like, well, yeah, actually, it was zone on the other side, and it, it, there was the always was like a, a, gray, a gray area. So, 
anything okay. that was so supposed to be known, like I would, I was able to process it and know it. Like I obsessed over knowing every single play going into the game. So I never busted in that way. I believe it. The other thing would be effort, right? If you don't give effort, you get docked. I never really got. I believe that. I never got an effort dock. I so, will toot you for a second because you were always the guy, no matter who the offensive coordinator was, that they would show you as the example of how <laughs> you should practice and how you should play. And I remember even your last year when Hugh was there and you were hurting, like you you had a bum knee, but you were still busting your ass in the backside of everything in practice. And Hugh was like. This is how we need everybody to practice. I don't care if you're not a receiver. This is the effort we need on every play. And you were like humiliating the young guys in the room because they weren't given half the effort that you were. It was actually really impressive. I appreciate that, man. It's something I prided myself on. So, yeah, I mean, that you know, there's just a certain way for me that you play the game, and I always wanted to do that. So I never effort an assignment like know what to do and go hard. Those are things that don't take talent. When you were 5'7 in the NFL, those are things that you don't have the opportunity to bust on. Everything else that I would get docked for was execution, right? Drop pass. Um, I don't hold on to my block long enough. You know, I took the wrong angle on the guy that I'm supposed to be blocking. So, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever graded out lower than a 90%. One of my favorite quotes in the NFL that I, I tried to live my life on was be the best at the things that don't take any talent. Yep. And I think you and I had that same mm-hmm. motto mentality in the NFL. And it's true though. Like if you want to have a long career in the NFL, you have to think like, I am going to be the best at everything that doesn't take talent because I don't care how talented you are. I don't care if you're Josh Gordon with speed, you're going to run into somebody someday in the NFL that does something better than you physically. Yep. Because these are the most physically Gifted. These are the most physically gifted people that America has to produce. They go and play football, and some of them play basketball if they're over 6'6". But other than that, out of the 300 million people in America, your best athletes go and play in the NFL. Yep. No question. So anyways, back to the grading scale real quick. So as an offensive lineman, above a 90 is a really, really good game. And I would say the best line I ever played on, it was me at left tackle, Joel Batonio, Alex Mack center, John Greco right guard, Mitchell Schwartz right tackle. You know, Four out of those five guys are Pro Bowl, all pro players throughout their career. Uh, Greco was the only guy that didn't make an all pro or pro bowl. However, he deserved it a few of those years, I agree. especially when Kyle was there, he was lights out, but he just didn't have the household name and we he weren't had enough yep. to get that recognition. But so I'm going to just say five pro bowlers and I would say half of us would grade over 90% in a game and half under 90%, which to me as a uh, snooty offensive lineman shows how difficult our position is from a technique and assignment standpoint on every play mm-hmm. because I, I i sound like outrageously snooty when i'm saying this but it is so much more difficult to know on a pass protection exactly who to block on any given moment than it is to be able to read if there's a post safety or if it's a split safety and to know what your route is that's yep. just pure memorization but playing on the offensive line and we saw it on monday night football like when there's all those guys up on the line of scrimmage you have to communicate in a split second and be able to change who you're going to and where the slide's going and who your help is coming from and where the quarterback is going to be and where the running back is going to be. And those are so many complex things that are happening in a split second. Like to be able to get over 90% right during the course of the game on assignment and technique is a hard thing to do. And I would say I averaged probably one mental error during my career where, you know, I did the wrong thing, Mm -hmm. whether it be a run or a pass until about 
probably year six or seven at that point, you know, my game got good enough where I, I didn't have, but maybe a couple mental errors on the entire season. Um, but and I, I mean, would say the lowest for the, the lowest of line though. It's like you guys play so many important snaps and yes, we all play the same amount of snaps, but you got to figure for a receiver. First off, I might not yeah. be in all, if it's 60 plays, I might not be in all 60 plays, right? If you're the number one receiver, you even still, we go in the goal line package, you you probably miss two or three plays. If you're the number two, you probably miss 10 plays. If you're the number three, like the majority I was, I'm probably out of the game for 25 plays. Of those 25 plays, another 10 are probably run plays. Not you know When I'm run blocking or I'm running a guy off just to make him think it's a pass, that's not dictating a play. You foul that down again to the rest that are pass plays, I probably only get targeted five times. So even as long as I run the right route, I'm not going to get a negative for those. So it comes down essentially to five plays of me executing that determine my grade. Whereas you, all 60 plays, if you mess up, you ruin the play. There's 60 straight plays that if you do not do the right thing, you ruin the play. And even if you do the right thing not okay, you hurt the play. You know, like you might know what you're doing and you might know who you're blocking. If your technique isn't right, he gets the leverage. He stops the run for four yards when it could have been a 20-yard run. That's a dock on you. So it makes sense that yeah. your, your your grades are, are going to be lower. Well, that, that's an, it is interesting to think about it like that because for me, I thrived on the fact that every single play is the utmost importance. So it was easy for me to give great effort every play because I knew even one play where I wasn't giving my all, I would be exposed. My man would... Yep. maybe injure the running back or the quarterback or best case scenario. It's like a seven yard loss or a sack fumble and nobody gets hurt. Like, so the stakes on every play were sky high. So no matter how tired I was, no matter how much we were losing by, it was easy for me to understand. Like I need to give maximum effort on every play. Yep. And I, sometimes I think to myself, if I was in a receiver position and I had the opportunity to like, loaf or take a playoff when I was tired because I knew worst case scenario is they probably don't throw me the football or I'm covered or it's not a 12 yard run. It's a seven yard run. Cause I didn't go in and I didn't push crack the safety and I didn't stay on the way I was supposed to. I wonder if I would have been able to play at your level and give the effort that you gave every play, knowing that at least a third, maybe two thirds of the time, what I do doesn't matter at all during right. on this play. Well, it, it's funny. A lot of guys do that. And I, I asked Richard Sherman, like, who was the best receiver to guard? And he said, uh, it's definitely Julio Jones. And I asked him why. Hmm. Besides the fact he's a physical freak, he said, because on run plays, Julio gives the same effort that he, do, that he does on pass plays. And so as a DB, I never know when I have to be on or off. Like, I, like DB's pride, like, they take into account the amount of run plays that, oh, it's a run play. I can relax my mind, relax my body. They said Julio goes hard every single play, so you are forced to be on guard for all 60 snaps, and that's why he's hardest to guard. So it's actually a competitive advantage for a receiver, but it's just a matter of do you have enough juice to maintain that over a long period of time. I've become pretty good friends with Steve Smith since working with him on Thursday Night Football, and we have a good back and forth, and I love picking his brain because he's one of the best receivers of our generation. Absolutely. And he did it. Not, not only with his physical ability and a lot like you, but he did it mentally, like mm-hmm. getting inside the heads of the cornerback. I loved 
breaking uh, breaking down games that, especially when he played with the Browns, like asking him about this cornerback and that cornerback and like what he did here or there. And, and Michael Irvin's been really cool about sharing that type of stuff because that's a side of the game that I didn't get much of when I was playing. So I love talking to him about like, yep. hey, when you were playing against this cornerback and they were playing this coverage and you had this route concept, like how were you setting him up during the game? And I'll never forget, um, Steve was talking about one of the games that he was playing with the Ravens against the Browns. And he was saying like, Early on in that game, he was playing against a really good corner. I'm not going to mention his name, but a really good corner. And he knew that he would be able to just make this guy mentally melt if he went in on the very first play and he took it all the way beyond the whistle. It was a run play. Mm -hmm. He was going to tangle up with him. He's going to throw him to the ground and he was going to fight him to the last second and he wasn't going to give up. He wasn't going to be the one that blinks. He didn't care if he got a 15-yarder or not. He knew he was going to have him for the rest of the game. And sure enough, he said he had him. And then early on in the game, he ran a couple slants and this player played off, gave him the, the slants, came up, made the tackle for seven or eight yards or whatever. So he had a couple of those early on and he saved it for the last play of the game. And they yep. ran a sluggo and he ran right by him and he got a huge long pass that ended up winning the game for him. And he said he knew he set it up at the beginning of the game with how he came off and his physical, his attitude that he played with because he knew he was going to have him mentally the rest of the game and do, do whatever he wanted. Um, and so it's fascinating to me to kind of get into that side of the game and how you can use that so much to your advantage. Whereas as an offensive lineman, you don't have those opportunities quite as much. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com slash smart for details. This episode is brought to you by HelloSign, a Dropbox company. Sign documents 80% faster with HelloSign, the quickest way to get e-signatures for every type of document, so you can celebrate all those successful moments sooner. If you hate waiting for signatures, HelloSign is music to your ears. Try it for free today at hellosign.com. Patrick Mahomes went from potentially being out for season to could be back in three weeks. Have you guys ever had a teammate that you felt rushed back before they were ready? Uh, nothing comes off the top of my head. Joe, you got something? I actually wanted to ask you because I remember uh, it was, I think, maybe Patton's first year. You had a really, really, really bad concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I think you had like debilitating oh, yeah. headaches for yeah, weeks. I did and rush weeks. back, didn't I? <laughs> you were you were having I can't even remember. Uh, yeah, such bad headaches that you were taking some type of medicine. Do you remember what the medicine was to try to like alleviate some of the symptoms? Yeah, and it was uh, I Excedrin. <laughs> I thought there was a prescription medicine you're on. Maybe I'm spilling your uh, your HIPAA medical documents that you don't want to be spilled. Yeah, I was going to say, we got to wipe this from the record. Yeah, no, I, that was actually my my second year in Cleveland, Petten's second year. You're right. I got a concussion versus the Rams. Um, and both, I got a concussion versus the Rams. Something happened. Somebody fumbled. Nick Fairley picks it up, and he starts running the opposite direction, like towards me. I'm like, what are you doing, you idiot? <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to make a play because that's what effort guys do. He lowers his helmet. Boom. I get a concussion. You know, I, like, tried I thought to... you were dead. I remember seeing that, and it was like watching a vehicle versus train collision, yeah. where the train is is coming and the vehicle's just stuck on the tracks and it yeah. can't move. And I'm like, this is going to be terrible. And that's what it was. Like. 
a lazy guy, but he was absolutely enormous and powerful. Yes. And so I get to the sideline. They're checking me, and I'm like, yo, yeah, things are spinning. And, you know, I try to get back in. And they're like, you know, no, I, I take the concussion test, and I, I don't get it or whatever. So I'm in the concussion protocol. So I'm in this protocol for a couple of weeks. My head is hurting. Like, light is bothering me. I'm sitting in my dark basement just watching the Golden Girls for literally weeks on end. Uh, hmm. Like, my son, who is seven now, he still remembers that he was three at the time. And he was like, yeah, remember you had those headaches, Dad, and we would just watch the Golden Girls in the basement in the dark? Uh, I'm like, yeah, man, I remember. So for weeks and weeks and weeks, this is going on. So I finally cleared the concussion protocol, and we will go to Pittsburgh, and honestly, the, the headaches didn't really subside. You know, and they, they were I was still had headaches, and I was still, you know, I probably, going back, I would have sat that one out. That's what I definitely should have did, but I played anyway in Pittsburgh. Played decent versus Pittsburgh late in the game. Johnny throws a pick. I turn to go tackle, and I think Jarvis Jones, who's a defensive end for the Steelers, leaves his feet, launches at my head, helmet to helmet, boom. I don't even remember anything Yeah. from – I don't remember that play. That was I don't remember, I remember it. I didn't come to until it was like midnight, and I basically – I was awake, but I just wasn't conscious. I kept – you know. so what happens when you get a concussion, for, for me at least, I continue to ask the same questions every probably 15 minutes, and it just resets. So I say, like, man, I took a bad hit, didn't I? And like, yeah, man, you did. How'd I play? Oh, you all right? You had like six catches for you know eighty something yards. Damn, we lost. Yeah, you lost. Five ten minutes later, dang, I took a bad hit, didn't I? And I was doing that after the game, and I guess somebody went to the trainer and was like, yo, check Hawk out, and they checked me out. I went to the hospital and stayed in uh, UPMC in Pittsburgh for that night. Didn't get back to Cleveland until the next day. They kept me for monitoring. And yeah, I didn't. It was midnight before I was like, "Yo, what the hell is going on?" Like where, like till I consciously knew what was happening. So I I lost whatever that eight hours or, or so. Like I watched that game now and I don't remember any of it. Like wow, I only remember the angle of which I see it on a TV screen, which is crazy. But yeah, I mean the point of the story is, if I could go back, yeah. I would have definitely given myself some more time. And then I end up going on IR because you know if I. You can't be stacking up concussions like that. And that was a big part of the reason why I came back the next year, Joe, to be honest. I didn't want to end my career because I wanted uh, to retire that time. If I'm being, if I'm being honest, yeah. I wanted to retire before that year. That year sucked. Like from an injury standpoint, our team sucked. Like I wasn't happy with the coaches. I wasn't happy with this, the state of what we were doing. Um, but I didn't want to end my career on that note. So I came back for 2016. So from Keisha's perspective, what did she think about – the hit that you took, and then your decision to come back and play again. Um, I mean, it's tough, man. You know, like she, my my, my wife trusts me, you know, unequivocally on everything, right? Like she just trusts that I'm making the right decision for not just myself, for my family and all of that. Um, so if I tell her, hey, I'm okay, she's going to take me at that word. I mean, she doesn't like it. I mean, you know, it was a bad because you were up front when you seen the Nick Fairley run me over. You were literally standing right mm-hmm. beside me. We're in the field together. So you see that person on film. It doesn't look that terrible. Right. So I can say, OK, it's not you know, I got a concussion. I've gotten pl- countless concussions. I'm a football player. And I'm a, a smaller guy on the football field. So the second one, though, when I got it versus Pittsburgh, that was one that took a lot of like soul searching. It took like there was family conversations. There was my mom. There was my brother who plays football very much like I did, but he was a defender. There was those like, yo, man, like, A, you're definitely not coming back this year or we're not talking. Or B, you know, you need to think about hanging it up. 
right? Like, cause this, there's going to be effects. There could be effects down the line that we regret. And, you know, and that was a big part of my decision eventually, but just at that time, it was important for me to walk away on my own terms and not that way. You know, not, not everything that I've been through. I, you don't go your whole life. People telling you you're too small just to end it by being what people will say is too small, right? Like I'm not letting that shit go down. No, I'm coming back. I don't give a damn. I'm going to play and I'm going to walk away the way I want to walk away. And I'm, I'm happy I did. So I actually never had any diagnosed concussions during my football career. I had one time where I saw stars or actually twice. Once was when I hit James Harrison. Uh, and then another time against the Bengals, like one of my first years, but um, never diagnosed with a concussion. But I do remember in order to get back on the field, you need the team's medical staff to clear you. Mm-hmm. You need to say that I'm ready, that I feel like I can go and play. And then a lot of times, like your agent or whoever's in your camp, if you have a second opinion doctor, that they'll usually need to clear you and say, yeah, we think you're ready to come back and play. And, and it's not gonna be an abomination just going rolling you out there and taping you up. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an offensive lineman, we can get out there and play with a much reduced speed and quickness because our game is so much more about like technique and your brain and what you're seeing, you're thinking. And so like if I'm only 75% because I got a knee sprain or something like that, I can easily go out there and I can survive and I can probably play way better than the backup because I don't rely on the speed and quickness like a receiver would. But um, there was a, a couple times throughout my career when I saw guys that were cleared medically but decided to hold themselves out. Mm-hmm. And as an offensive lineman, a lot of times I didn't understand that. And at the time, there was an instance where we had a, a player who was cleared as, as a defensive back, um, but he had like a hand injury. And so he was telling the trainers, like, I can't go because yeah. I, need, I need my hand. And at the time, I was really bitter about it. I'm like, man, you're, you're, you're hanging the team out. You're selling us out. We need you out there. Like, I don't care if my hand's broken. Tape it up. I'll play. Like, I can easily do this because I didn't understand the skill player side of it. And right. it wasn't until actually I retired and we were having this discussion a while ago about it. Yeah. And you remember it and you were like, you don't understand, like as a defensive back, if you're a person that doesn't have elite speed and quickness, if you're not Dion, you might be a bigger corner that relies on your hands to be able to jam at the line of scrimmage. And missing a jam is the difference between shutting a guy down for a play or giving up a touchdown pass over your head. And so holding yourself out because of a hand injury is not because you're a wuss or anything like that. There's nothing like masculine about it. It's just physically what I am required to do in my position with my skill set to be able to play and help this team. I need to be able to jam the receivers in this manner. And if I can't do that, I'm not going to be any good for my team and I'm just going to be a liability. Yeah. So there's one instance where having a receiver as a friend actually is a benefit. (laughs) Uh, Most of the time, usually it's just a a detriment, but uh, thank you for giving me unique perspective and uh, less bitterness towards my Browns career now that I'm retired. No, absolutely, man. It's always, everyone's always tough with somebody else's body. Like everyone is always like, oh, you can do it. Oh, can I? Oh, can I? Thank you. <laughs> oh, you can play through that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, it, it, I mean, that's you know, that that situation specifically pissed me off. I remember that like it was yesterday. You you don't need those lungs and heart. Like, <laughs> yeah. who, who needs that stuff? Get rid of that stuff. Who cares? <laughs> it's just your brain. Here's a funny story. Not a funny story, but uh, connected to that that concussion. And this is actually the first time I said it, which probably isn't even smart to be honest. But I was in the hospital. And the next day when they were like discharging me, the doctor comes in and he says, hey, you remember we talked about yesterday, that if you remember my name today, I'd let you go home. 
remember what it is? What's my name? And I was like, hmm, I've never seen this man before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I looked down at his lab coat, and I'm going to change the name just for the sake of the, the podcast. <laughs> and sure enough, Johnson etched out of the lab coat. I'm like, Dr. Johnson, hey, I told you, you'd be just fine. Okay, you're good to go. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. <laughs> mm, so, sounds like a setup from the team. They're like, the coach is like, we really need Hawk in this week. All right, I, I got a foolproof plan. I'm going to go in there with a huge name tag, and I'm going to say, if you remember my name, you're definitely cleared from this concussion protocol, which actually makes me think, now that the concussion protocol has gone from a couple years ago where it's like, if you get a concussion, you're not coming back for a couple of weeks, for sure. The NFL and the concussion lawsuit, yep. they were so worried. They had those doctors so concerned. Now we see guys like decapitated in the game and oh, two days later, they're cleared to play. And I'm thinking to myself, what has happened to the concussion protocol? And I'm wondering if these guys were either so stupid that when they took their concussion test the first time, they scored so low <laughs> yeah. that it's easy for them, no matter how concussed or drunk they are, they can score again like that. Or have we changed the protocol on coming back to play after getting concussion in the last year or so. Yeah, I, I want to say, guy, I want to, I want to err on the side of saying guys are stupid because that concussion protocol test <laughs> is actually hard. Like it was tough to pass was, in Cleveland. It was really hard, from what I'd heard. Yeah, man, like it, it literally struggled. took me weeks to pass that because you know they have a baseline where you take it at the beginning of the year and they basically say here's the level you have to get to and you can't come back until you get to that level. Now, I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a, a brain surgeon. 4.0 Ivy League student. Yeah, yeah, give mean, yourself a little credit. I mean, here, if, if you're talking sports business, <laughs> yeah, you're talking to the right guy. <laughs> but if, when it comes to this stuff, I don't know what that means or, you know, but. What is that test? Um, I don't know. It's I can't multi-part. Remember. Next, <laughs> it's uh, multi-part. <laughs> next one. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I think it was things like, it's like reaction time. It's or, like reaction time, and it's. You do remember, Joe? Yeah, I because I I only had to take it once because I never got a concussion, like I said. But I remember very vividly there was like three parts. One part was memory, and they would ask you like, "Okay, I'm going to give you ten things, and yep. they're just random objects, and then you need to tell me back those ten things after like thirty seconds." Yeah, it but was actually, in that thirty seconds, they were asking you other questions to try to distract you. And then they wanted to see how many times it took you to be able to remember all 10 things. Yep. Um, and then there was like a balance one, uh, like, you know, stand on one foot, close your eyes, hop, and, you know, do different type of like balance things. And then I'm thinking there was another one where they would give you a letter. So they'd be say, all right, the letter L. I want you in 60 seconds to come up with every word yep. that you can think of that starts with the letter L. And then they would record the number of things as your baseline that, that you could come up with that started with the letter L. And then after your concussion, they wanted to see how quickly your brain could think of the same number. And so they could kind of compare the two to see how quickly your brain is working. Right. And reaction time. So now that Joe said it, I'm, I'm actually refreshed. So uh, the balance test is what they do, like right when you come up the field to kind of check your balance, make sure it's on or off or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, when you take the test, that is what it is. They start off with 10 objects. So it'll be like fishing, pro fishing rod, scissors, hat, headphones, car, hotel, dagger, blah, blah, blah. Then they'll go through all those other questions and it'll be random questions. Some will be like, um, like Joe said, name as many L words as you possibly can. Then it'll go to some numbers questions. Then it'll go to this. So you do that test, and it takes probably about five minutes, four to five minutes of test. And then at the end, it says, all right, now name as many of those objects that we showed you at the beginning as you can at the end. And through the whole test, it's measuring 
you know, not only how many answers you get right, but also reaction time and and all that stuff. And you have to hit the same numbers that you did at the beginning of the year when you were completely healthy um, in order to be cleared. But that's all like one test, which is, yeah. It's, and you got to pass all all three categories. You can't just be good at one out of the three. You got to be back to basically your baseline on yeah. all three of those. So the key is for some of the meatheads we used to play with, there was actually one player, I'm not going to say his name. I am going to say his name. Um, what was his name? Solomon. Joe Thomas. No, not Joe Thomas. He he was not. <laughs> no. What was Solomon's first name? Scott Solomon. Solomon. We called him Bonesaw. Solomon. He was a he was a meat head. I'm talking. <laughs> you talk about effort. I'm talking about balls to the wall in every yeah. like walkthroughs, full out contact kind of guy, right? So Solomon would always be like, "Yeah, the key is." You get a bunch wrong on purpose. That way you never have to miss a game, bro. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay, Scott, you're on your own, but I'm gonna I'm gonna head to my locker. <laughs> he was he was one of those guys that was probably as a normal human being, he was six one, one sixty five. But he yep. worked himself in the weight room into like a two hundred and seventy five pound body. <laughs> and I'm sure he did it cleanly. I'm not saying he was a steroid guy at all, because he didn't have any other the signs. He was just the guy that bought dumbbells and just left them at the side of his bed. And when he wasn't doing anything, he was just lifting them because he would literally do anything to play in the NFL. He was yep. that hard of a worker. And I just remember like the number of powders that were unlabeled that were yep. in his locker was sheer amazement when you'd walk by because most people had a lot of shoes in the bottom of his locker. He had like 25 <laughs> uh, GNC different powders that yep. were in there unlabeled. And he, he was, was like taking a very... It scientific amount he reminded me of james harrison yeah like that was james shit. harrison was was famous for yep. like all the different supplements and stuff he took yep james harrison was like that carlos dansby was kind of like that too like towards the end oh, of his dansby. career he would be doing like blood tests and stuff scott solomon actually got drug tested i think like 21 times in a month <laughs> and he they kept, were definitely targeting him they were definitely targeting him and he's like dude they keep doing it i don't know if it's because i have all this shit in my locker but I'm like, yeah, maybe you should clean it out. I don't know. But yeah. Carlos Dansby will be always famous in Cleveland for eating lobster mashed potatoes three meals a day for the entire yep. football season because he took this blood test down in Miami and it said that his body reacts the best to like lobster and mashed potatoes. So he had this little uh, casserole dish that every day he would come into the, ca the, the cafeteria when we're all enjoying steaks and shrimp and crab legs and yep. delicious food all over the place pizza whatever it is doesn't matter he comes in with his casserole dish of cold lobster and mashed potatoes and put it in the microwave come over breakfast lunch and dinner and eat his casserole of lobster mashed potatoes exactly and literally the same thing every meal every day ali berry on igs after you guys compared lamar to baker on sunday it got me thinking how would you rank the top five qbs taken in that 2018 draft class so in order it was baker sam darnold Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson. First off, thank you, Halle Berry, for uh, tuning in with the Tomahawk Show, <laughs> for following on IG and being so into uh, rookie quarterbacks. Um, I'm going to rank them like this. Stock, are we doing like who do we think is best, or are we doing like just stock in general? Who do you think is the best? Like right now, or they're going to have the best? I'm going to go right now. I'm going to go right now. I'm going to say Lamar. Then I'm going to go Baker. Then I'm going to go Allen. Darnold Rosen. So the guy that has performed the best this season, Lamar, then Josh Allen, then Baker, then Darnold, and then Josh Rosen. Yeah. I think career-wise, the guy that's going to have the best career 
is going to be Baker, Josh Allen, Lamar, then Darnold and Rosen. That's 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 interesting. So t- tell me why you think Josh Allen will have a better career than Lamar. I think Joster Damas knows. Okay, that's a very good point. That I didn't Lamar Jackson will have a light that that shines very bright. Mm-hmm. It burns very bright. However, I still think when you run the football as often as he does in such a violent league, that mm-hmm. injuries are going to play a part. I think back to Robert Griffin III, our man, the guy that is the cause of all maladies on the Tomahawk yes, show, yes. had such a meteoric rise his rookie year, and then he got hurt, and he was unable to stay healthy all the way even when he came into Cleveland, and it derailed his career. It really did. I mean, he had a lot of the same talents that Lamar did, um, but wasn't able to stay healthy because in this game, when you are a smaller person and you run the football 10, 15, 20 times a game, eventually it usually keep catches up with you. Okay. I was interested because Josh also runs the football. But he doesn't rely on running the football almost like Lamar does as if he was a wild card, wild cat running back. Yeah. Josh Allen does it within the flow of the offense, more like a Russell Wilson, where when things are breaking down, he runs. Occasionally, they'll have some design quarterback runs, but with Lamar, they're running 15 to 20 design quarterback runs per game, which is working great, and it's extremely dynamic, and it's fun to watch. Mm -hmm. I just don't think long-term, 10 to 15 years, you can survive doing that, especially because once you get into your 30s, typically your skills diminish as far as your speed and your quickness. And so at that position, just losing a small step all of a sudden makes you ordinary, and then guys can catch up with you. Right now, he's running faster than everybody that's out there. You heard Pete Carroll say last weekend that Lamar was faster in person than they saw on film. And they've seen a lot of fast guys out there. They've got a lot of fast linebackers in Seattle, and they weren't able to be within two steps of Lamar and what he was doing. So right now, extremely special, dynamic Potentially could be an MVP of the league if he continues playing the way he has the last couple of weeks. But I just still think injuries are going to be a concern. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I guess I guess I'm not arguing the Baker take. The Josh Allen take is where I'm like, I would argue I don't think Josh Allen is a better passer than Lamar, and he's definitely not a better runner. So and Josh Allen doesn't pass as well as the Darnolds or the the Bakers, and he doesn't run as well as the Lamars. He's solid. I think he's good. I think he'll be, and I think he'll get better because he's like a freak athlete. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I would just question having him over Lamar. But I would question they're a lot of the only you do. team. They're the only team right now that's given the Patriots problems. Defense. They're five and is, one. Does Lamar play linebacker? That I don't. Is that is he a safety? If you let me finish my point, okay. Then we'll move on because right. I'm not going to give you a chance to rebuttal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're five and one. They're the only teams that they're the only team that has given the Patriots problems. And they had him on the ropes until Josh Allen got hurt in that game. Okay. One word answer. If you could start a franchise with one player, Allen or Jackson. I'm going Josh Allen right now because of the longevity. If you're asking me who I want right now to be on my team for a one-year season, a one-year career, it's Lamar Jackson. If you're asking me who I want to be on my franchise for 10 to 15 years, it's Josh Allen. Yeah, because you're going to want to go mediocre for 15 years as opposed to probably win two Super Bowls <laughs> in the interim. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hawk, you're taking Lamar? I'm taking Lamar, man. I'm taking Lamar because, yeah, he's fun. Yeah, he's, he's more fun to watch, no doubt. No doubt. Last question on the pick six. Do you consider candy corns, candy canes, and peeps 
candy bars. Yeah. A candy cane is a candy bar. <laughs> candy corn is not unless it comes in a candy bar package. Um, what else? What were the other ones? Peeps. Peeps. Yeah, it's a soft candy bar. <laughs> I'll allow it. Especially if you go with the long peeps. I don't even know if they make long peeps, but. Soft candy bar. I've never heard I of mean, that. no. Okay. <laughs> honest, honest answer. Candy cane is not a candy bar, right? You guys would agree there. But that that also hurts the argument of M&M's not being a candy bar because you're saying it can't be a candy bar because it's literally not a bar. Well, a candy cane is literally a candy bar. Is a cane a bar? Is a crowbar a cane? (laughs) Is it not shaped like a candy bar? Have you not seen a crowbar before? What are we talking about? As poor as your answers have been on this argument for the entire season, that is your strongest argument I've heard yet. That a Thank crowbar you. is also close to a candy bar, which is close to a candy cane. Yes. I mean, I rest so if a crowbar my crowbar was made out of chocolate. Right. This, this is the real question. If you got a chocolate crowbar in your Easter basket, <laughs> would it be considered a bar or a cane? Yeah, is a cane? Is that even a category? <laughs> then why don't they call it a crow cane? Because is it not the same shape as a <laughs> as a candy cane? If you have any crow cane, I would love it because then I could party at your bachelor right, party welcome for to the three Tom days Show. and then not get tired. Official pop, official <laughs> podcast of crow cane. <laughs> All right, actually, we have a good surprise here. Marvin Jones is ready to join the Tomahawk Show. Wednesdays are for the players. <laughs> Travis Kelsey. This entire time I thought it was Tomahawk. Tomahawk. Kareem Jackson. Yeah. Do you believe in ghosts? Do I believe in ghosts? Yeah. Here we go. Saquon. One, One, two, two, three, four. four. I declare thumb war. Do you think, Marv? Let's get it. The Tomahawk Show. All right. Now joining us on the Tomahawk Show, my homeboy, my brother from another in Detroit Lions wide receiver, the best wide receiver in NFL history, Marvin Jones Jr. Marv, what's up, man? What's going on, man? Thanks for having me, like always. Absolutely. Look, I'll start it off. You scored another game with four receiving touchdowns, which is bananas, dog. I told everybody I played 74 career games, and I had nine career touchdowns. You scored eight receiving <laughs> touchdowns in two games. What What was going through your mind throughout that game and then afterwards, like, when you actually really did that shit? Man, it was, um, you know, during the game, and just like, you know, last time in, in 2013, it's just like, you know, you kind of get in the mode. You know, you kind of get in that mode. So, like, you scored a, I scored the first one, and I was like, all right, that's cool, you know. And uh-huh. then, um, you know, we, we the, the, the thing was, we, we kept getting into the red zone, you know. So, every time uh, we got into the red zone, I'm like, okay, like, I, 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 need, I need another one. Single coverage, boom, I scored the second one. And then after that, now I'm like, whenever we get to the red zone, I know I, I got to score. I got to score every time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so uh, I got that third one in the first half, and I was like, shit, I'm about to go for six. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was cool. I, it was just it's kind of that that game, you know, you know that game where you just you just feel like um, you know you you, can, you can't you can't be stopped, and like every time you get the chance, you wanna you wanna you wanna score, you know. So um, so that's kind of how it was, and then. It, it's not like um, I'm, it probably still hasn't hit me, you know. Just cause, yeah. You know, we're in the middle. We're in the you know the middle of the season, and um, you know, there's still obviously we still had a lot of work to do. Um, so I know it's something you know, and and years coming, 
you know, that I'm just gonna look at look look back on and be like, dang, that was that was cool. That's you know, special. So, Marv, you started your career catching passes from Andy Dalton, the the Red Rifle, and now you're catching passes from Matt Stafford, who recently just crossed 40,000 career passing yards, fastest quarterback in NFL history. Tell us, what is it like catching passes from Matt Stafford after starting your career with Andy Dalton? Whoa, 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 whoa. I, don't, I feel like that was a pointed question, Joe. No. You, gotta, I, you don't know. I did not say compare I won't the stand two. For I any just Andy said, Dalton what's it slander. like catching passes from Matt Stafford? <laughs> You you know you know what like um obviously obviously staff has has that that laser arm you know um but you know I mean especially my time in in Cincy um you know with Andy um he's you know Andy's one of the smartest quarterbacks um you know that had like a lot of he had a lot of responsibility at the line you know so mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the, a lot of the times that you know you've seen especially early on in like you know 2012 2013 um you know he was making uh, he was making most of those calls. Um, you know, on the on on the line, you know. So um, obviously, the, you know, they're different quarterbacks with different playing styles. Um, but you know, I, I definitely appreciate Andy and and, and what we did there. Um, but um, and uh, Matt too, Matt as well. He's he's one of the smartest. Um, you know, the thing that nobody really knows about him is is the the way he works, the way he comes in. Um, you know, every morning. Um, you know, before everybody's there. He's really out there just uh, dialing it up, you know, talking to the coaches, talking to every everybody, um, putting in all the hours. So when he does stuff uh, like he does, you know, like, you know, passing, passing, a, um, you know, get, getting that record and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's we just know he's going to do it, you mm. know, just because he puts in that much work. Um, um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's just a great moment. Um, and I, I actually thought I was the one who caught the, the, the pass that, that, that put him over, over but um, <laughs> I didn't. But I, I had a touchdown <laughs> with that ball, so I was like, I told him, I was, I'm assigning for you, you know, just so you know that you know that was the ball I scored on. That should have been mine. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he's great. Don't- don't let facts get in the way of a good story, Marv. Forever and ever, you can tell us that you were the one that caught that forty thousandth yard pass, and we'll believe <laughs> oh, yeah. it. It doesn't matter oh, yeah. to us. Yeah, but most definitely. On Sunday, we had a big discussion here, me and Hawk on the Tomahawk Show. We said, Matt Stafford setting records, unbelievable what he's done in his career so far, but hasn't done it in the playoffs yet. Do you think Matt Stafford, when it's all said and done, is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback? I think I think definitely, you know, on the, the route that he is, yeah. You know, and, and, I, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people that's always like, hey, you know, you, you there there needs to be certain things to be to be done. Um, you know, for somebody to get in, but at the same time, um, you know, obviously he's he's throwing a ball like he's throwing it right now. He has he has he has a lot of years left. You know, um, so I I think that um, yeah, uh, with with us eventually uh, that is will happen to where we we could we could, we could get him into get him in because he he deserves it. You know, he definitely deserves it, and you know he has pretty much all the records. Um, for you know to start off for the first ten or eleven uh, eleven season, um, so I think I think I think he will. But at the same time, you know how it is. Uh, yep. um, you know it's, it's you know different requirements and stuff like that. But we we gotta we gotta win we gotta win um, and we gotta start you know turning turning the table um, for for it to be easy an easy call for him. So um, that's a good point. So we'll segue into like the Detroit Lions. Actually, before we get to the Lions. You obviously left Cincinnati and took to take on an even bigger role when you got to Detroit. Did you want to leave Cincinnati? Because it's all it's always different. Like for me, I didn't really want to leave Cincinnati, 
But I had to do what I had to do in order to get, you know, to maximize my worth as a player. And I'm like, look, if they don't, yeah. if I'm not in a place for me that doesn't value me the way that I know I can be valued and the way I think that they did in Cleveland, you know, I'm glad I made the decision. I never regretted it one step of the way, but I didn't want that to happen, especially like growing up a Bengals yeah. fan. For you, did you want to leave Cincinnati or were you like, yo, you're kind of forcing my hand in this situation? Um, I think it was, a, it was a little bit of both. Obviously, you know what we what we had what we had there. We all we loved it, you know. Mm-hmm. When when all of us were there and stuff like that, and it's funny we we had our uh, conversation uh, when when you went to Cleveland. That was actually my bachelor party, and you let you you, yep. you left. Um, <laughs> um, you left to go handle your business. Bachelor so parties? Like, yeah, y'all, <laughs> hey, I'm like, hey, 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 Hawk got the call. Hey, we was like, go, <laughs> let's do it. Hawk must throw a good party. <laughs> Thanks for the invite, guys. Yeah, yeah, it was it was hey, it was fun. Hey, hey, ne- next time we'll, we'll, we'll get together. <laughs> but, um, I, I, I think it was a, it was a little bit of it was a little bit of both. You know, obviously I I knew um you know I knew what I could do you know in the league um and it was a situation where I knew that I would I would get that opportunity somewhere else um and you know the you know the fact that they didn't you know they didn't um uh, I mean they had they had some some chances to 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 lock me down just like they had chances like all of us down but right. you know, obviously they they didn't you know and and we wanted to stay there and you know and and keep that that brotherhood together but you know it was kind of it was kind of that situation like hey you know I'm I know what I could do um and I know I could be a, a great one in this league and um you know what what place is the best place for me to go you know right. and then we we even had a com- had this conversation too you know um uh, 4 years ago you know yep. and it this was it was just it was just a the right place and the right fit for me, um, especially because, you know, they had went, you know, they had started down and stuff like that. And they rallied, they rallied back and stuff like that to almost make the playoffs that a year prior. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is a, a, you know, a young team with a quarterback, a quarterback that can sling the rock, you know, and I could get, I could get there and show people, you know, who, who I am. And then I could be the reason why we win, you know what I'm saying? Yep. So I think that was, that was, that was the that was the thing because you know obviously I, I I loved my time there and you know my family's doing good there and we were thriving and stuff like that but at the same time I knew I knew that last game um, against the Steelers was my last game yeah you know? so yeah um, yeah yeah no it's funny man it was the same here I remember the last game I had at Cincinnati I cleaned my locker out like took everything because yeah. I'm like yo I'm, I'm yeah. probably and I was a restricted <laughs> free agent but even still I just knew. Yeah. Yo, the the market is gonna is gonna be there. It's funny because you talked about so now you have Matt Patricia as your head coach, but I remember when you were a free mm-hmm. agent, one of your final teams was the New England Patriots, and it's funny because Mo, you know, our other counterpart in that receiving court just got traded to the Patriots. Yeah. So what was it that made you choose Detroit over New England? And do you see uh, like anything that Patricia has basically brought from the environment of New England into Detroit? Um, well, for, well for, first off, um, I think um, you know with, with the culture, the, with the culture that that he's came up came um, here and, and brought, um, it's definitely worked. It's definitely worked for us. And I know you know the you know our, our record is what it is. And you know, I mean, there's you know we're three plays away from being a whole different you know yeah. a, a whole different team right now. But we just we just we feel like we we have a great team. And um, obviously, you know, we're, we're tough. Um, you know, we play it tough. We play, we play to the end. We play fundamentally sound for the most part and stuff like that. And those are the, those are the things that, that Patricia has came and instilled in us. Cause obviously that's what, um, that's what, that's all he, he knew, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I think this year was a year that, 
we brought we brought a lot of people in, um, you know, to fit the culture, uh, and and it's and it's been great. But we just have to we have to you know it's, we could say yeah we're a great team, but we have to go out there and prove it and stuff like that. But um yeah you know obviously obviously um um that it was it was a tough decision. It was actually the decision between between Mayor and um and and, and here and here in uh, Detroit. Um, but I think I think it was, and I, I don't regret the decision, you know, at all. It was just for me. Where can I go and um, and, and and really, you know, help help the team and and be the guy that I know I could be, right? You know, and I think at that time, at that time, you know, coming from you know the AFC North, which is you know you and and, and Joe knows. I mean, I mean, it's physical, man. It was so physical, yeah, and, like buddy. the way my body was, the way my body was. I was like, okay. Um, that was a factor, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And like the, you know, so I would call all these, you know, all, all the, you know, the, the greats and I'll call the people who play for the Patriots and then all this, all this, like all this stuff. I was like, man, I just feel like, um, this was, this is, this is where, this is my calling. This is where I need to go. And the contract, you know, the contracts were, were yeah, the contract contracts that helped. Being different. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm like, you know, and I, the $40 I'm million, dollars, agent, that was you know, cool too. Yeah, yeah, I'm a free agent, so I was like, you know, they're they're offering me, you know, a lot of money that they usually don't offer people. But hey, I gotta go, you know, I gotta go where I'm where I'm going. You, you don't like when does when does a lot of people hit free agency like that? You know what I'm saying? So, right. um, I th- I think it was that. You know, is is a decision that that I'm that I that I still love that I made. You know, obviously I, I like um being here and um yeah. So all right, good. Well, we'll let you go here in a minute. I know you've got a busy Tuesday with uh, all sorts of community service. Hawk and I never did any of that when we were uh, with the Browns or even <laughs> in the NFL for that matter. So give you props. Thanks for picking up our slack. But uh, Daryl Bevel, your offensive coordinator, former Wisconsin guy, was out there in Seattle. I'm just curious, what's mm-hmm. the number one thing you enjoy about having him as your offensive coordinator? I think I think what the big thing that shows um, and, and that's very important, I think, for, for all of us. And something that we love about him is he was, you know, he was a former player um, that, um, you know, that, that, that won the big that won the big game, you know, in, in, in college. And he was a quarter he was a quarterback that 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 played at a high level. Um, and so he knows, you know, he just he just gets us. You know, what I'm saying there's, there's a lot of people that, you know, you know, they, they, they go up there and they, they say, well, you need to do this and you need to do, you know, and they really, they really don't understand, you know, right. but he, he, he does, you know, and that's big, you know, and I know, I know y'all know, I mean, that's, that's big for a coach to understand, okay, like, you know, where the players are coming from as well. Um, and I think that's, that's a big, a big trait that he has that, that we love. And um, obviously, you know, his, his, his record is proven, you know, he's a Super Bowl yeah. winning coordinator. Um, you know, um, has has had a lot of success. Um, so um, just just the fact just the fact that everything there's there's no gray area with him. You know, so mm. we're gonna come into a game plan. We're gonna know every single thing um, that we're supposed to do. And you know, so it's it's kind of like hard to mess up. Like it's like if you mess up, it's like it's, that's on you. Like what were you doing? You know what I'm saying? Right, so right. it's like a simple. Um, um, but you know, just have have things that that we do well just do those all the time you know and if nobody can stop it we're just gonna keep doing it so um it's simple and um him um you know as a play caller as just as a person you know he's relatable and he relates he relates to us just because he's he's done it and he's played at a high level um you know and he's 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 been through you know tough situations you know in seattle and stuff like that and has prospered through that and and has won the big game there too so um you know we i mean we love 
stuff like the direction that we're going um that we're going in and yeah so he was he was definitely a good, a good addition tell me this marv and, and we'll let you go here soon so I was telling mm-hmm. before you got on about our group chat, where it's me, you, Mosinu, AJ Green, Andy Dalton, and for somebody who works in NFL media, it's the worst place for me to be because I get <laughs> all the information that I can't use. So last <laughs> night we got the news that Mo got traded to to the Patriots, and yeah. I wasn't allowed to say nothing. So somebody else breaks the story, right? Because y'all don't want me to be great in my career. That's cool. I understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's fine. Yeah. I get it. Y'all don't like Bunch my kids to eat. I get it. I'm not going to hold that against <laughs> you. Um, so A, can I break whatever next news you have? Number one, because I need you to commit to it right now on the show. And then, oh, hey, look at him. You see him? You see what he did, Joe? Because uh, it's bullshit, but I'm just calling what it is. He's very selfish. I'm sick of it. I'm not gonna stand for it. And B, B, was my bachelor party the best bachelor party setup you've ever been to? Has anybody topped that since? Sounds like he's got a lot of experience, okay. so he's a good person to ask. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> okay, a a I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and say yes. Boom. Uh, to, to a scoops. Um, dip, a depending uh, <laughs> depending on certain certain things. That's something we can negotiate later. Okay, uh, cool. I'll uh, take it. Yeah, for sure. Um, but B, I mean, yeah, I still I still talk about it. And remember, your yours was a week after mine. You yep. know what I'm saying? Or no, no, oh it wasn't. It was like it a, a week after. It was a week weeks. after. It was two weeks. It was two weeks after. Yeah, yes. So I was, yeah, yeah. So we, we did mine five days, five days in Miami. Then yep. went, um, then I then got got married, and then his then his was his was two weeks later, and his his was the best. His was definitely was the best. I, I, I still talk about it. We went on See? tour. It was we, it was like we it was like we were a music band uh, without <laughs> without doing any music. You know what I'm saying? So we went on tour. Got they got got the band together. Went to uh, went to Vegas. Then got the band together again and ended up in L.A. So See? That, that was that was an epic one, man. That's I know, man. Mm. Unfortunately, everybody's married now, so we're not going to have the opportunity to run it back. So we just got to you know keep those memories of being a rock star boy band from that time. Mar, we appreciate you joining us on the yeah, Tomahawk man. Show, brother. Hey, I appreciate y'all, man. All, Absolutely. All Go get four <laughs> more touchdowns this week. All right, much love. Peace. Right, man shout out to marv joining us here on the tomahawk show coming through making me not look like an idiot thank god because i was really nervous we were going to go <laughs> over two uh yeah so what do we got we got another extra point left for our pick six what is it we'll, we'll get to it quickly since this episode is long extra point. the 49ers acquired emmanuel sanders today guys in addition to the muhammad sanu trade curious you guys reaction to those two trades quickly um love the most new trade to new england Again, I knew it first. Name drop. I know important people. Um, Emmanuel Sanders, I like that one because the, the, the 49ers would need some receiver help, mm-hmm. and he's a guy who can play inside, can play outside. He goes hard in the run game. He's going to be the perfect complement uh, to Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan drink in that offense, and I, I really think it helps solidify their offense and, and make some real real contenders. The Mohamed Sanu trade makes perfect sense for the Patriots because the only thing lacking right now is sort of a reliable number one receiver because Edelman playing in the slot is unbelievable, but 
with Josh Gordon being hurt a good bit this season so far, they needed a reliable guy who was super smart, who was re- who could be exactly what mm-hmm. Brady needed on the outside, and they got that with Sanu. Much to the chagrin of 31 other NFL teams that were already planning on getting their asses beat by the New England Patriots, <laughs> and now it is 100% a sure thing. The Emmanuel Sanders trade is exciting and interesting if you're a 49ers fan because this means that Kyle Shanahan, drink, and John Lynch, don't drink. Their GM <laughs> think that they legitimately have a shot to win the Super Bowl because Emmanuel Sanders, he's an older wide receiver, last year of his contract, giving up a third and a fourth, but getting a fifth back. Mm-hmm. Kind of a little bit rich for a guy right at the end, but they're saying, hey, we're one small piece away from really being Super Bowl contenders. Emmanuel Sanders, he's a guy that fits perfectly in Kyle Shanahan's system drink. And they were willing to make this trade and give up some draft compensation because they think this could be their year. Yeah. And I'm excited about uh, Mosinu, too, because this is the first time. Well, shoot, not really, because Josh Gordon is still there. So how about Mosinu? A.J. Green, Julio Jones, (laughs) Josh Gordon. Those those are his complimentary receivers in his career. Golly. Mm. Keep getting that money, Mo. But F you for not coming on the show today. All right, that does it for the Tomahawk Show. We appreciate you joining us here. Uh, yeah, Joe, what are your final thoughts? Uh, crazy week, it seems, in NFL news. There was a lot of things going on. But um, one thing my final thoughts are going to talk about are the Chicago Bears. Lots of friends of mine's in Chicago. Always want to talk Bears stuff. Matt Nagy came out after their game this weekend and said, you know what, Mitchell Trubisky, he's struggling out there, and we wish we could run the ball a lot. But you know what, we can't just go out and run the ball 30 times because uh, that's just not how we do things. But you know what? When your quarterback's coming back from a torn labrum and a dislocated shoulder and he's already struggling to throw the football, the only thing that he does reliably well is run around with the football in his hand. You don't go out and ask him to throw the ball 54 times in a close game. So I feel a little bit cheated as an NFL fan when my head coach is telling me he can't run the football (laughs) because of certain situations when you don't even try to run the football. To me, that means you're so obsessed with how smart and creative you can be and so it's so important to you to be able to show everybody in the NFL how great your Star Wars passing game is that you don't even realize what your limitations are on offense. If I'm Matt Nagy, I am running the football. I am creating a game plan that runs the football and throws it when I have to. I love it. All right, so I'd be remiss not to shout out around the NFL podcast. We joined them today. We're doing a home and home. So next Tomahawk episode, we will have the around the NFL podcast crew joining us here on the Tomahawk show. Excited about that, man. They're our brothers in the podcast community. Uh, yeah, so we're trying to poach off their fans as they are ours. That's the quid pro quo in podcasting. The podcast game, it's a lot like car dealerships. Right? Yeah. This was an economics case study, right? When you go through econ, like 101 in college, they say, you know, car dealerships, they like being close to each other so that a car buyer can go and try out multiple cars and they're more likely to go buy from one of these dealers if they're close together. Exactly. Same thing with podcasts. Yes. We're not stealing their listeners. We're just nope. all adding each other's listeners together. So it's one big orgy in the podcast community. Yep. We just want you to, if you're going to buy your crocane, buy it from all of us. <laughs> okay. All right. Buy that, from the Tomahawk <laughs> Show and around the NFL. That does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. Marv Jones. Take us out. Yo, hug yourself. Oh, well, that sucked. So, actually, sing us out. We are on the Tomahawk Show.